Welcome to What to Do When, a podcast from Real Lawyers with Real Perspective, where we explore a variety of legal issues and scenarios. Each week, we focus on a new topic and discuss what to do when and if any of these legal scenarios ever happen to you or a loved one. With over 40 years of combined legal experience, our hosts offer their unique perspectives and insights on a range of real-life legal situations. Hi, welcome back to a What to Do When, a podcast here at Kreiser Cardani in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Jackie. I'm Scott. What's on the docket for today, Jackie? What to do when you have to defend yourself. Yeah, this has really become a big issue, I think, in the state of Virginia, if not nationally. And you're seeing a lot with police officers who feel like they had to defend themselves and individual store owners, storekeepers, all kinds of people. And, and then it comes down to our individual self. And, and this comes up when, for instance, somebody comes up to you, starts a fight with you, swings at you, hits you, whatever it may be. And what's your response? What are you allowed to do? And what aren't you allowed to do? Well, self-defense isn't a new thing in the law, right? I mean, that's been around a long time. Yeah, but it has really shifted in this whole thing of there's a thing called basically in the law called imperfect self-defense. And what the court is supposed to look at is your reasonable response to the force that was applied to you. And as you well know, the problem with one person's reasonable response might not be another person's reasonable response. For instance, if you have a judge who believes um, violence is never okay, then you hitting back may not be a good thing for them. So it really does come down to the judge a lot of times on what they believe to be a reasonable response, which I honestly find offensive to the core of me. And anybody who knows me knows that because this is this is a big problem because I think constitutionally we have the right to self-governance first. And I think that's the issue. When you are when you are self-governing yourself, say I'm here's how I put it. I'm mad at Jackie. I think she did something horrendous to me. Whatever it is, I don't care. Uh, she's poured gas. She poured sugar in my gas tank. Or oh. I just don't like her. I have to decide how I address Jackie and do it in that un- constitutional framework of I'm responsible for my actions, how I act, what I do. So there's a there's a risk to me. I can't just go up and slap her. If I go up and slap her, you know, then she has the right as far as I'm concerned to slap me back. Well, you know. you're kind of talking about uh, maybe a revenge or a retaliatory sort of behavior too, right? But if, but I like where you went. If if you came up to me and slapped me, and I slapped you back, that seems reasonable. It seems reasonable, and I, and I do believe most courts will find that to be fairly reasonable. But I mean, I've had cases, and I know my client would let me say this, so I can say it. But where one person grabbed the other person around the throat area, you know, the client that I had thought he was being choked out. The other guy, of course, denied it because in, remember, in trial, it's going to be Jackie's statement versus my statement. But still, you have somebody who's holding somebody around the neck. Admittedly, that's that's what everybody agreed to. My client striking the guy. They go down wrestling fights over and a judge saying, well, I think you hit him too hard. And really, and that was the insane result. And everybody in the room is looking at everybody. What? So it becomes like, are you supposed to hit 
Is that hard enough? Is it going to stop you? Is that going to repel you? What's going to repel you? So Well, and you have to take into account, too, that, that if somebody thinks they're being choked out or that this person is trying to kill them, that's going to trigger a different response than getting hit in the face or punched in the face or something less aggressive, right? So the the response has to be measured with the force that was used to begin with, too. Absolutely. And, and then you get into the victimization of our culture, which I believe is a big thing, and how people feel about certain things can really trigger them based on their past and their thing. And what we may think is a push to them may be a very abusive thing because of their past. So I realize all that plays into it, but I think at the same time, when you endeavor to put your hands on somebody in some way, shape, or form, I think the way it used to be almost is you stepped into the fray, so whatever they do back to you is on you. And we've really taken years and years of chopping away at that. Now it's like this reasonable standard. I get that if Jackie comes up and slaps me in the back of the head and I pull out a gun and put 12 bullets in her, that's probably not reasonable. Unreasonable, I would say. I would say it's unreasonable too. But then I look at the other side of it though. Jackie should have never came up and hit me in the back of the head. She doesn't know who I am, what trauma I've suffered. Maybe my dad molested me for 20 years. And one of the things he always did was hit me in the back of the head. Right. And when and she and when she hit me, that triggered me to such a... And everybody said, well, we can't worry about trigger. Well, it happens all the time. And, you know, it's kind of like... It's really funny because we take in personal injury, which is called this soft shell approach, which is if I do hit Jackie and she has a, a malformation in her head and I kill her, <laughs> it's my fault for doing that. Right. I shouldn't have hit her. But we don't take it that way in the criminal law as much. So that's what I'm talking about. I, I just obviously I have a lot of passion about this because I just think we've taken in schools. Like, for instance, if you're a student in school and somebody comes up and starts to fight with you and you fight back, what do we do? We kick them both out. Both. And it's like zero tolerance, zero tolerance. What, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit there and get beat. And quite frankly, I've had the cases where the kid allowed himself to get beat and he still got kicked out yes. for being involved in the fight. And I'm like, yes. what the heck's going on here? Right. And what are we teaching people? We're saying to the bully or the aggressor, you get doesn't matter. You're going to get the same punishment whether you're the aggressor or not the aggressor. It's the it's the dumbest way of looking at things I can possibly think of. It it devoids logic. And a good friend of mine who's a prosecutor is probably listening to this cringing right now because her and I have a difference of opinion on this. But what I'm saying is if somebody comes up and punches you and you punch them back and I knock a tooth out, What's the, court, the right. court's going to look at you, you created a malicious wounding. You cut their skin and broke their tooth. And I'm saying, all I did was punch them back. Right. You know, and they're going to, well, you, you obviously did more than he did to you. And I, I just don't know how in the heat of passion, when there's a fight going on and you're in fight or fight mode, how you can possibly garner the right response at every right time and hit with the exact amount of force as to repel the person, but not. Well, and, and I, I mean, I think you came along the same era that, that I did where my parents said, I don't want you throwing the first punch, but you better throw the last one yeah. to fend yourself. Right. And I'm, I know that my children know, no, don't go looking for a fight, but don't get your butt beat either. And I suspect your children <laughs> <laughs> were given Maybe a little bit. similar instructions. Uh, but, but today telling them to defend themselves could very easily lead them down a path of being prosecuted for 
being too aggressive. Malicious or, wounding or something like Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it's crazy. And sometimes they don't even look at the beginning, beginning of how the thing started. Right. And it just gets way out of hand. But And that's where self-defense, and you have to have somebody who understands self-defense, knows how to argue it. And quite frankly, in this day and age, I think a lot of times you have to take a jury trial if you go that far, which quite frankly is a lot more money. But if you're protecting your right against a felony or a prosecution or something you didn't do, these are the things that have to be pushed. And I really believe they have to be pushed all the way back up to the Supreme Court to get this back to a place of reasonableness for real. And it's like, for instance, okay, I'll give you an example. This is what I think about all the time. So this is a big deal for me. Say Jackie walks in here and pulls a knife and puts it at my throat. Okay. What's my reasonable response at that moment? You know, Obviously, if you can back off, it's probably just smart to back off. Well, I have a question about that. Yep. Do you have a duty? Or what is the court doing with the uh, last chance to retreat? Do you have the last clear chance to to retreat? And is that? I mean, in, in other words, if I walk into the room, I walk into this building onto our floor, and I hold a knife to your throat. Clearly, there's I mean, the, several egresses in, on on our floor. Do you? Are you supposed to try to get away from my knife? And then run away, or can you not do that and defend yourself? It becomes a real tricky wicket, but really the idea is that if you're in your home or in your surroundings, and I would guess a business would qualify for that, okay. you don't have to retreat as much, and you don't have that obligation to retreat. It's called the Castle Doctrine. Even though Virginia doesn't really call it the Castle Doctrine, it's really saying my home, my cost, I don't have to, I don't have to run in my house. And I have funny stories about that whole thing where there was a case in Virginia Beach where my understanding hmm. of the case was the officer knocked on the door, knew that there was a shooting on the oceanfront where somebody had broke in, and the guy had, had shot the intruder. The intruder was sort of halfway in the house and halfway out of the house, and the cop somewhat encouraged him to pull him a little further out so he didn't have to, or pull him a little further in, excuse me, yeah. so he was actually inside the curvature of the house. Because what happened was when he shot him, he blew him back because he had a pretty big gun, and it blew him pretty far back through the plate glass window and like half out, so they... I can tell you the funny story, but basically he encouraged him to get him back in before he walked in. So he goes, oh, he's in the house. Great. So he, different standard based on whether I'm maybe we're not in our business, but maybe we're upstairs visiting a different business. And I walk in and hold a knife to your throat. So there's a difference between hand to hand combat. I hate to yeah. say it like that, but that's exactly what I mean. Versus you're in your home and there's an intruder coming into your home one way or another. Yeah. And then there's also mutual combat. If both of you agree to throw off gloves and fight, you know, that's a whole nother issue and a whole nother doctrine. And a lot, but what happens all the time in these cases, if, and Jackie's a bad example, so I'll use Daryl, her husband. <laughs> if Daryl and I decided we're mad at each other, we just want to fight it out. But then I get wimpy. I won't use Daryl. I get wimpy an hour later because he kicked my butt. And I go, I go to the cops and take <laughs> out assault charges. You think, you think I'm going to admit that it was mutual combat? Probably not. I'm going to say he attacked me. Sure. So, and the same thing, I want to get back to the knife real quick. I think I forgot, but I didn't. So the knife's at my throat. What's my reasonable response? Most people say, well, you had to pull a knife too. Well, what if I didn't have a knife? What if the only thing I had was my concealed carry and I pull it out? And what if I shoot? You have entered the fray, brother. But I'm not saying you shouldn't defend yourself. Don't get me wrong, because I fully believe in self-defense. Mm. But my point is, I've seen the situation where... They charged the guy with the gun with brandishing his firearm. He's trying to back off the person with a knife. 
You know, it's, it really is. It's gotten so silly. We'll make it even more complicated. And let's say it's a rubber knife. How do you know? How you do don't I know. know. All you see is a knife and all you feel is this, you know, t- tickle at your throat because I've got a knife at your throat. You don't know that it's a rubber knife and I couldn't actually do harm to you. Well, there's also a doctrine when they train cops, but basically, and I can't remember the amount of seconds, but it's so many seconds for you to draw your gun. It might be tens of seconds. And actually aim it, shoot it at somebody. Mm. And so if somebody's coming at you, you have milliseconds to respond. And you don't always have the luxury of figuring out whether that guy's a real guy, real gun. He's really coming at you or he's going to stop at the two inch line or cock the trigger and not pull it. All those things are real responses in the moment. And you cannot be expected. I say this. You cannot be expected to grasp all that and what you know what the people who hate guns would say well you should have never carried a gun that wouldn't have happened so i get choked and strangled or cutting my throat cut and that's okay it it just makes no sense or maybe they had a gun and you didn't whatever the case case. i think it comes down to this what people really need to understand i don't we are going to do some more more podcast on self-defense obviously i get worked up about it but this is no joke anymore, and if you're going to claim self-defense, you need to be aware of your circumstances. You need to be aware of what you're doing, and I realize heat of passion, you may not be, but you need to get a good lawyer behind you because, like I said, if you hit the guy back, just say it's fisticuffs. Just say it's, you know, guy comes up and punches you in a bar because you talk to his woman, and you hit him back and you break his nose, you know, you're probably going to get charged. And so you're going to have to bring a self-defense claim. And that may need people in the bar and witnesses and all those kind of things because he said, she said, in my estimation, isn't cutting it anymore. So, Well, and on that, though, you're talking about the reasonable standard, right? That's that's yeah. really where that falls in. And just keep in mind, you you don't know your judge, probably, and you don't know what it's going to take to convince that judge or jury for that matter, you you don't know what it's going to take to convince them that your response was reasonable. So all of these things, it's just important to keep each yeah. piece of of what Scott's saying in mind as you're as you're navigating just this initial broad brushstroke of self-defense when we'll get into the, like Scott was saying, we'll get into the others, other pieces of it um, more specifically in the podcast to come. But so you've got to uh, be aware of your circumstances. Remind, remember, remember that you've got um, a judge or a jury to convince that your response was reasonable. Absolutely. And I think, and I think, like I said, it, it comes down to you have to have an attorney who understands self-defense and understands all the different case laws out there. And sometimes you may be the very one who needs to push this all the way up so some of this law can start going back. The pendulum has swung so far, we need to swing that pendulum back to a, a real reasonable standard not what some person interprets to be a reasonable standard. So in our next podcast on self-defense, we will talk about the castle doctrine and how that applies in Virginia or whether it applies in Virginia. We will talk more about imperfect self-defense as well. And some recent headlines that we've had here in Virginia with the imperfect self-defense and and what was the outcome of that. Uh, And we will cover some, some deeper issues inside the uh, envelope of self-defense. And we'll try to get Will in here. So, Thank you all. Thanks for listening. Be sure and like and subscribe. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of What to Do When. 
For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, and we encourage you to check our archives to listen to previous topics. Tune in next week for a new episode and some fresh perspective from Kreiser Cardani.